Hey, Rockbridge, just want to welcome you. However you're watching, if you're watching online, thank you for uh, tuning in. Throw in the chat just where you're watching from, your house, you know, or listening from your car, or what area of the country, what region you're from, and, and that'd be great. Somebody will give you a shout out and say hello. Also, just welcome you at all six of our Rockbridge locations. It's a great time to be here as we celebrate and remember Palm Sunday and finish up our series called Half Full. And we've basically been just working through uh, this concept that as Christians, God has actually commanded us, told us, and desires for us to be happy, to be positive, to see things and live life, not as if our glass is half empty, but as if it is half full. And, and we've said, hey, that's just crazy because a lot of us grew up with this view of God and God was against our happiness. God was against our joy. God was the God of no. God was the God of punishment. God was the God of guilt. And we've just seen in scripture, that's the farthest from the truth. And that when our happiness and our joy comes from and is centered upon Christ, it is absolutely possible in a broken world, in a fallen world, to live with a half-full mentality. Well, today, as we wrap it up, we're going to wrestle with what I think is one of the great challenges of being a Christ follower. It's why some of you who are watching, listen here, have yet to become a Christ follower. It's why those of you who are Christ followers struggle in, in completely giving Jesus the steering wheel of your life, or, or your Christianity is sort of like on again and off again. And here, here's sort of the trifecta that makes this hard, okay? We live in a broken world, a fallen world, where bad things happen, where we are both sinners and sinned against. The Bible and walking with Jesus includes hard commands, hard commands. It tells us to do things sacrificially, tells us to give away more money than we're comfortable giving, tells us to forgive those who hurt us and turn, the cheek, turn our cheek to, and give people the other cheek that hit us, tells us to go not just one mile, but go the extra mile. And so the Bible is full of hard commands, hard commands that on the surface seem to be counter to, against our joy, our happiness, our positivity. And so how do we combine a broken world where we're sinned against and we're sinners and the hard commands and the cost of following Jesus Christ and still come out and live half full? And that's a big tension, right? That's a big tension, and it explains, again, why some people just aren't Christians, why some people are like, I am not going to become a Christian if I have to follow that, obey that, change this, start doing, stop doing. I'm just not going to do it. It explains why some Christians don't really look like a Christian every day of the week or in every season of their life or every arena of their life. And so we wrestle with this, and we come up with what I'll call some bad solutions some bad solutions to this, uh, this problem here. And the bad solutions are sort of this. We'll make the commands less hard. We'll say things like, well, God wants me to be happy, and I can't be happy keeping this command, and so that doesn't apply to me, or surely God understands. So we'll make the commands less hard, or they'll say, hey, that doesn't really apply, or hey, if you knew what I was facing, or you knew what I was dealing with, you would be okay with me not forgiving them. You would be okay with me not being as generous with my time, and my money, and my talents, as, as, I, as, as I think, you know, maybe scripture says, and God would be okay too. Nobody's perfect. God understands. So we just sort of dumb down the commands. Another 
bad solution is we just sort of pursue in this world happiness and then try to make God an accomplice in it. We try to make God an accomplice in it and if we're accomplice in our pursuit of worldly happiness. And so if we pursue in this world happiness, we're going to have to have more power and more money, which is to a lot of people that those are the two keys to their happiness. They need more power and they need more money. And God help me have more power and God help me have more money and then I'll be happy. And, and so that's what we do. And then another one, which a lot of us, maybe when we grew up in church and had certain preachers and teachers, we heard this, hey, you should be thankful for what Jesus done has done. Do your best. Try harder because the Bible says so. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. We'll see you again next week. And so those were all the solutions. And so, so when the pastor comes up or the preacher comes up or some Christian tells you you should or you should not or you ought or you ought not and you hear the command or you hear what God's saying to do or you hear what you have to give up or you hear what you have to start doing or what you have to stop doing, it, it, it's kind of one of these three options. And, and, and the problem is they all sort of fall short. They may work, you know, for you for a moment, but eventually, eh, you know, so, so what do you do with that? Well, here's the twin challenges. Here's the twin challenges we face in, in, in this dilemma. We face the challenge of weariness and worldliness. We grow weary of keeping the hard commands in a broken world. And so we stop and we're not half full. Or we just give in to worldliness and we begin to compromise. We begin to take shortcuts and, 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 we, and we have enough excuses in our brain that we feel justified in doing so. So the core problem is, is this. We just need a fuel or a motivation that will sustain both steadfastness in a difficult world where we have to follow Christ and following Christ often runs counter to the difficult world and it will sustain a half full attitude. So it's not just, hey, plug away, keep going, you know, persevere, hang in there, do your best, try harder, don't quit. But you can be bitter and you can be miserable and you can be angry and you can be cynical and you can be suspicious and you can be frustrated. Just hang in there. It's, it's an and. It's, right, it's be steadfast. Follow Christ no matter what. It's the best life there is. It's the only way to live, best way, only way to die, best way to live. And let's do it with the right attitude. And let's do it with joy. And let's do it with positivity. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Jesus on this Palm Sunday weekend, and we're going to see some of, not all, but some of the fuel that took Jesus to the cross, that helped Jesus remain steadfast on the cross, and helped Jesus do it with hope, and do it with the right spirit and the right attitude. And he's our example and he's our fuel. So let's look to him. If you have your Bibles, love for you to turn them on, open them up, and go to the book of Hebrews. We're just going to look at two verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Two verses. Here we go. So this whole book of Hebrews, by the way, is basically on hanging in there, not giving up, and persevering. So let's look at Jesus. He says, okay, so let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. 
And, and again, this is a hard command of God because we always want to ask this question. Hey, is there anything wrong with it, which would be a sin? And if there's anything wrong with it, then we need to stop it or, or, or deal with it, right? But he adds anything that sort of holds us back. So anything that holds us back could be something that's good, but in your case or your story, the good could be the enemy of the best. So he says, hey, we got to deal with everything that would hold us back and the sin that ensnares us so that let us, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. So the race that's marked out before us. So the word endurance and the word race give us enough clarity that, hey, this is not always easy, hard commands, broken world, and we've got to deal with sin that ensnares and things that are not necessarily wrong things, but they're not the best things and they don't help us run. So again, hard, broken What's the fuel for that? Now, if we just stopped after verse 1, and this is the problem with only taking one verse of the Bible, right? So in your, in your devotional time and your time with God, it's always good to get the, the full context of what's going on. But let's just imagine we stopped here at verse 1. I mean, there's enough in here to, to give us some challenge. There's enough in here to give us something to do, to give us an application. But is there enough fuel? Is there enough fuel because God always empowers what he commands. So how does God empower us to lay aside the encumbrance, the hindrances and the sin? How does God empower us to run with endurance? How does God empower us to hang in there in a broken world with hard commands and to do it with joy? That's why we have verse two. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Christ. Don't let your eyes get distracted. And then he uses the example of Jesus to teach us, show us some fuel. Here's what he says. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So our faith begins in Christ and is completed by Christ. So he's the author of it all. And he says this about Jesus. He says, so when, and he talks about Jesus going to the cross. Jesus, in this Palm Sunday week, this holy week that we call in the church, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, the heinous, evil, sinister, awful, torturous way to die. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Scripture, the right hand of God is synonymous with his power and the pleasures that he provides or the rewards that he provides. You can see that in Psalm 1611. So Jesus, when he's going through the cross, what's motivating Jesus to go to the cross? Well, he's being obedient to the Father. He's fulfilling his purpose. He's trusting God. He's persevering. He's hanging in there, but he's also got another fuel. He's not another source of fuel in his tank. And it is this notion that there is a reward from God, that there is a future joy that he will experience because he endures, because he hangs in there, because he perseveres, because he holds on. So Jesus does it for the joy that's coming, that he will get and experience at the right hand of God. So in other words, he's focused on as well, he's fixated on the rewards 
of the race he's called to endure and run. Now consider his life for just a second. Let's consider the last week of his life. So on what we Christians typically call Palm Sunday, Jesus had worldly success. He was immensely popular when he rode the donkey into Jerusalem. And people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. He was, that, was, that might have been the high point uh, of his popularity. But Jesus was not seduced by worldly acclaim and worldly power and worldly prestige and worldly popularity. So he kept running the race, even though he knew three or four days later, all of that popularity would vanish. He would be betrayed by one of his 12 closest confidants. Not only would he be betrayed, he would go through an unjust series of trials. Not only would he experience injustice from the world, then he would also be handed over and be crucified in the most shameful torturous, heinous way mankind had ever invented up to that point in history. So suffering and the thought of suffering didn't deter him. The allure and the appeal of worldly success didn't slow him down from running that race with endurance. What kept him going on was the fuel of the joy that lay before him that would come at the right hand of God. Now, I want to ask as a question, okay? How often do you and I run the Christian race because of the rewards that God has built in to those who, for those who faithfully complete the race? See, I, I, I was asking myself that question. I was like, gosh, I have not thought about preaching saying no to sin, saying yes to faithfulness. I haven't thought about rewards in a long time. And that means that I run with a tank that's less than full and a fuel source that makes me susceptible to either worldliness or to weariness. So, so let's use a, a real-life example that most of us can relate to. All right, most of us know the golden rule right? And, and you've probably taught your kids a version of it. You've recited it. Most of us know it. So let's treat people the way we want to be treated, something like that, right? Do you know the reason Jesus gives for keeping the golden rule? Like if your kid came up there to you and said, hey, mom, my older brother is a jerk. I don't want to treat him uh, <clears throat> anything but terrible because I don't like him. What, what do you say? Well, the Bible says, follow the golden rule. Well, Jesus says, follow the golden rule, and you should be obedient. Well, if you, if you don't follow that, you know, I'm going to give you a spanking. I mean, you, you know, you, we try, just try, just do your best, just try to follow the golden rule. But, but what's amazing is, how did Jesus, what did Jesus do to motivate his followers to keep the golden rule? Let's look at it. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. That's yours. That's the golden rule, right? And then he says, love your enemies. Whew. All of us got enemies, right? We know what he's talking about. Do good to them. Lend to them. Give them stuff without expecting to be repaid. And then look why he says to do it. Then your reward from heaven will be 
very great. Just think about that. I mean, think about enemies in your life. Think about who you need to treat in accordance with the golden rule. Think about who you need to be generous with and who you need to to, just to, to help. And you can think of a thousand reasons not to do it. You can think of a few reasons to do it, but you know those reasons eventually will give in to worldliness, treat people, you know, pay people back and revenge, or you'll give in to weariness. Man, I am just tired with, I am tired of dealing with difficult people. I am tired of treating people Christ-like. I am tired of, I can't do it. And Jesus says, but remember, your reward from heaven will be very, very great. So in other words, he says, Don't do it because they deserve it. Don't do it because you feel or don't feel like it. Don't do it because, hey, the Bible says to do it, period. Jesus says do it because the reward's very great. And it's in heaven, so it's a long-lasting, eternal reward. All right, let's keep considering Jesus. We continue to navigate with him through Holy Week or Passion Week. And right before Jesus is getting betrayed, he had to face a difficult person, Judas, who had betrayed him, all right? And then one of his disciples gets mad and wants to use worldly power to try to preserve Jesus and keep Jesus from going to the cross. Look at the exchange here in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26. Jesus says, my friend, that's what he says to Judas. That's what he says to one of his enemies, my friend. Now remember, what's in Jesus' mind? The joy set before him at the right hand of God. Go ahead and do what you have come for. Then they grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Worldliness, worldly power. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But this is the race marked out for me as the author and pioneer of your faith, the creator, the sustainer, the completer of your faith. But if I did this, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? And so Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the race. He was half full. Even though he faced an enemy that he called his friend, even though he could have led a revolt and called upon angels to assist him, he ran the race. Broken world, hard commands, half full attitude. So here's the lesson for us today. Here's the big takeaway for us today. We need a joy that is beyond the season and the world that we live in. We need a joy that's better than, better than the season and the world that we're in. See, if Jesus' joy was just in the size of the crowd and the volume of the applause on Palm Sunday, he would have stopped running that race. If Jesus' joy could have been taken by the betrayal 
the injustice and the physical and spiritual and relational pain of the cross, he would have quit running the race. But because his joy was anchored, was settled, and established in heaven, in eternity, where it's secure, where it's imperishable, what did Jesus do? He endured a broken world. He fully obeyed every hard command, and he did it with joy and contentment and peace. He did it with joy and contentment and peace. See, I think a lot of us, if we really were honest, <coughs> we would describe our Christianity as sort of a roller coaster, right? We've had moments of, of high where everything's good, and maybe it's because the world is going our way, and then we would have moments of lowness where we're just tired and weary, and we're like, I just don't know if it's worth it anymore. Nothing seems to be going my way, and then it would swing again, and everything's good, and it would go down again, and everything's bad, and, and, I, and I think if we're to be half full people, God gives us the capacity, the fuel, the ability to be half, pull, half full, not just in one season or one day of the week, but consistently. Why? Because of the joy set before us. Great will be, very great is your reward in heaven. So, so, so let's do this. Let's do like a, an, an autopsy if we, if we can, okay? What I mean by an autopsy is this. Think about a recent stumble or a recent oops in your own life. Th think about maybe why you haven't given your life to Christ yet. And, and you come to church or you listen to me online every now and then. You're like, yeah, okay, yeah, that was cool. I got something out of that I can use tomorrow. But you've never truly given your life to Jesus Christ. Th think about... You, maybe you're a Christian, but you've never given Jesus your sexuality. You've never given him your money. You've never fully given him your time. You've never fully committed fully to his church. And you hold those things back. Because if you were to give Jesus your sex life, if you were to give Jesus your wallet, if you were to give Jesus you know, his church what it deserves, then what would you be doing, right? You'd be like, ah, I, just don't, I just don't know, that'd, be, that'd make me happy. I just don't know. And, and you hold that stuff back. Could it be that the reason we've, we have those problems or we have those hiccups or we have those oopses or we have those under, under, unsurrendered areas of our life or, or we've never surrendered our life to Jesus, could it be because we're ignorant of or we've forgotten the rewards We've forgotten the fuel. We've forgotten the motivation. We've forgotten truly what he's promised us. We've minimized what he's offered us. So, so here's a question for us as people of the church. What if the weakness of our Christianity and of the church is due to lack of reward power? Reward power. Because all of us, are motivated by reward. All of us are motivated by the notion, the idea of reward. I was reading this about LeBron James. Many of you know him, right? One of probably one of the best, if not the best, basketball player of all time. He spends in the offseason one and a half million, one and a half million dollars to maintain his body, to help his body heal, so he preserves his longevity to play the game of basketball. Now, we look at one and a half million dollars, and for most, if not all of us, 
that is a, an incredible amount of money to spend in about you know four months of the year to, for what he's doing. But, but I was reading this and one trainer and, and medical expert says, yes, he spends a lot of money on his body, but it enables him to play the game longer and thus make even more money. So he's willing to pay a price on the front end and reap a reward that's greater than the price on the back end. And he does that all for a game. How much more should we do it? How much more should that drive us at when we understand and fully embrace what God has offered us? Imagine this, okay? Imagine someone came in that had the ability, had the power and says, look, all you need to do is walk three miles to such and such location, but you got to leave right now, walk three miles, such and such location, and there'll be $3 million waiting for you. That's all you got to do. Now, it does not matter if, if you got a cane. It doesn't matter. Most of us are going to figure out how to get there. And you know what we're not going to forget? No matter if it's bad weather outside, no matter if we're not in shape and we can walk one, but two is hard and three is going to be very hard. You know what's going to keep us going? The thought of, the focus upon the reward, and we will align our willpower, our physical exertion, our mental energy. We will align it with this reward because the reward is so powerful and the reward is so great in our minds. So this is just true, right? This is just true. We are always going to pursue what we prize. You're wired that way. I'm wired that way, and that is God's design. There's nothing wrong with the notion of reward. Sometimes we're like, hey, I, I, I feel guilty about it. There's no, you're designed that way. God created you and said it's very good. God blessed them and said, go be fruitful and multiply. It's all built into who we are as human beings, right? And our willpower always aligns with the reward power. So I'm a LeBron James. I prize being a great basketball player with a great brand who makes a lot of, a lot of money. So I will give up $1.5 million every offseason to pursue the prize of being a great basketball player with a compelling brand who makes a whole lot more money than the $1.5 I give up in the offseason. I will treat my enemy with kindness. I will treat other people the way I want to be treated. I will give money 10% or more. I will be generous with my money. I will say no to this and yes to Christ because what God is going to give me eternally far surpasses what I have to give up in the here and now. For what? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Now, let's be clear, though. I want to be clear because there's some teacher preachers on TV that will take what I'm saying and extend it to a prosperity gospel of God's rewards are, are earthly in nature, earthly money or, or money and power and health and wealth and stuff on earth. Let's be clear. The great reward that God offers is us is himself. He's the ultimate reward. And so what these rewards that he's incentivizing us or fueling our obedience in our broken world with hard commands 
all other awards help maximize the experience of Jesus. So when, when yes, I treat people the way I want to be tre- treated, yes, when I'm kind to my enemies, yes, when I'm generous with God's money that he's allowing me to steward, yes, I'm doing it for a reward, right? And that reward's going to help maximize my experience of him forever. It's like this. If you go to the beach and you love going to the beach, you know there's some things that help maximize your experience on the beach. For redheads like me, right, it's suntan lotion and umbrellas, right? It might be a floaty. It might be a, you know, <coughs> a surfboard. It might be a cooler with drinks. And all those things, what, help maximize your experience of the beach. Maybe you're a lake person. You love going to the lake. So what's going to maximize your experience of the beach, of the, of the lake? Maybe a boat, maybe a life jacket, maybe a lunch, and all that's going to maximize, right? So it's the same thing. When we talk about these rewards, they're just going to help maximize our experience of Jesus Christ forever because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1611. So you see this in the book of Titus. Look at how Titus explains this. He says, the grace of God has appeared. That's the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The hope is what? The reward is what? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're waiting for the full revelation, the full experience, the full consummation of Jesus and his kingdom. So I just want to ask us all a question. When's the last time anybody listening to me has said no to godlessness and worldly lust because the yes of the coming Jesus Christ was so great that you could say no to something less. This is what LeBron James does, right? He says no and spends $1.5 million on his body so he can play the game longer and make more money. This is why if if I said, hey, walk that way right now, three miles for $3 million, we would say, okay, I'm going to, whatever I'm doing now, I'm dropping it. However much pain I have to go through to get to that spot three miles, I'm going to do it because of what's coming. The hope, the power, the promise, the prize of what's coming. And if Christ is the greatest, best, and longest lasting prize ever, how much more should that principle of reward, reward power motivate us? So I want to give four handlebars, four application areas for you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit today and this weekend, okay, of where this might be applicable to your life right now. So you leave here, turn your computer off, and you're different because very great is the reward in heaven. For the joy set before you, you would endure and persevere and run the race. First category, say no. There's probably something in several people, (laughs) dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds of people watching right now where you just need to say no. Yeah, it, it feels good for a moment. You think it's okay for a season, but you know, long term is, is costly. It's not a wise investment. So you say no. All athletes, this is, this is the scripture that would support this. All athletes are disciplined in their training. That discipline means they're willing to give up something, to sacrifice, to say no. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. It's LeBron. 
but we do it for an eternal prize or an imperishable crown. Some of you, you need to stop sleeping with your girlfriend. You need to stop living with people, living together. Some of you need to stop being selfish with money. And we can go on and on and on. Some of you need to say no in how you spend your time so you can spend more time with God or more time being the church. So you got to say no. But don't do it because I'm up here making you feel guilty. Don't do it because, oh, you know, oh, there's the pastor, hellfire and brimstone. I'm not preaching hellfire and brimstone. I'm preaching for the joy set before the Christ follower. Run the race marked out for you. Second category, say yes. Say yes. Do something of God for the kingdom. Do something for the reward. Listen to this passage. Whatever you do, that's pretty all-encompassing, right? You go to work, you help make carpet, you educate kids, you coach a sport, you lead a small group. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. But you don't do it because God needs it. You do it because what? You will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. See, every time at Rockbridge, we, we, we stand up here and, and we could, I, could, I could preach this every week. We always need people. We call them bridge builders. They're servants. They're volunteers. They're, they're, they're people that help close the gap and move the church forward. We always need people. We always want people because we know we're created to serve the Lord Christ, or we're redeemed to serve the Lord Christ. We see it on the screen. And and, and it's easy for us in ministry, and I apologize if I've ever done it, to make you feel guilty for that. But but listen, some of you, I want to motivate you. Do it for the reward, to receive the reward. You're going to lead your small group this week. Hey, I'm going to go do this for the joy of the reward that God's going to give me. I'm about to write my my 10% check. I'm about to write the biggest check I've ever written to the kingdom of God. And it feels like I'm about to give up like my right arm and receive the reward. Yeah, you know, I hear my campus pastor, he gets up and he talks about we need bridge builders, we need host team, or we need RBSM, RB kids. God, we've got this hope expression on Saturday. We're doing a food drop. We're partnering with, you know, Isaiah 117. Uh, You know, we're going to the school. Uh, uh, but, But Saturday, it's golf day or it's relax day. And I just receive the reward. There's nothing wrong with it. It's fuel to run the race. Third category. Go big. Go big. This is the call to risk in the kingdom. This is the call to to do something bold and ambitious. Do something maybe that other people would call radical or crazy. Go big financially. Go big sacrificially. Go big generously. Go big (coughs) with, with with a ministry dream. Go big. Listen to what Jesus says. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Most of us know what it means to be rich for ourselves in the world. But he says, let's be rich toward God. Rich, not middle class. Rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you'll eat or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. 
Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. You got, you got, there's something else I want you to do. He says, look, the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your father knows that you need them. You, pri- you pursue what you prize. The Gentile world, non-believers, they pursue worldly rewards, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. That's big. So go big. So your possessions give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Highlight this. Memorize this. Write this down. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven. Do it for the reward. Final category. Final invitation. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Some of you today, you believe in Jesus, but you've never followed Jesus. Some of you today, yeah, I grew up in church, but you're not following Jesus. Yeah, I believe the Bible, but you're not following Jesus. The invitation today is follow Jesus. Get baptized. Get in a small group. Become the church. Be part of the church. Give money away. Serve. Not to keep God off your back, but to get more of God for the rewards he promises. Inexhaustible treasure in heaven. Follow Jesus. Here's his words. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Hard commands in a broken world. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Follow Jesus. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven awaits. Let me pray for us. God, I fundamentally believe your spirit is speaking to your people. Your spirit is speaking to those who are not yet followers of your son, Jesus. Some of us, God, we know it. We need to say no. Some of us, God, we hear it. We need to say yes. Some of us, God, it's our time to go big. And some of us, God, need to say yes to becoming a follower of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.